Welcome to the Library Safety and Security Podcast with Dr. Steve Albrecht. This is podcast episode number 10. I'm the very same Dr. Steve Albrecht, and this podcast is sponsored by Library 2.0 and produced by the founder of Library 2.0, Steve Argonen. My topic for this half hour is stop apologizing. Okay, so think about all the security devices in your world. I have a Subaru, an Outback. Every time I press the unlock button on my key ring, it unlocks the front door, the driver's side door, which is great. But I always forget to press it the second time, or sometimes the third time, or the fourth time to unlock the back door. So I sort of curse under my breath that I can't remember my own car, and I've owned the thing for five years. When I lived in a house in California, I had a sliding glass door that I put a big stick into the frame to keep it locked, you know, in case somebody would try to pry it open. A lot of times I would go to let the dogs out and unlock the door lock on the sliding glass door and go to pull it open and forget the stick was in there. And I have to go down, bend down, pick it up. And I always said to myself, stop apologizing for security. And that's the same thing I'd like to talk to you about. Stop apologizing for library security. We go to the airport a lot. And at the airport, before I went through the process where I got to cut in front of the line because of that program I'm in, whose name I can't remember, I had to take off my shoes. And taking off my shoes is always a hassle at the airport because sometimes I have dress shoes on and sometimes cowboy boots and et cetera, et cetera. So it's easy to go through the security process at the airport and complain about the screening and the x-rays and the wanding and the going through the machine that takes your full picture and sees the pack of, of gum that you have in your pocket. So I always say to myself, there's a function for this. I don't always agree with it. There's a reason for it. I don't always agree with it, but I want to get on the plane, so I have to go through the process. So... Think about in the post 9-11 world that we live in and how much security has changed and evolved and become more complex and some would say even more intrusive now than it was before 9-11 happened in 01. There are lots of examples where you go through a screening process to get to Disneyland or to go to a theme park or to go to an amusement park or a county fair or to go through a concert to get into a concert venue, you have to go through the security screening as well. To go through uh, security at a courthouse, sometimes in a government building where there's there's a DMV officer or something like that, there may be even security screening for that. So sometimes we are annoyed by it. Sometimes we just accept it. Sometimes we don't think about it until we get there, and then we have to go through the process, and it sort of bugs us. My take these days is to stop complaining about security because, A, I can't always alter it, and B, it has the best intentions, even though it may not always be carried out well. Let's go over to the library situation. When you think about the things that you have in place already at the library for security devices, it's lots of stuff that we probably take for granted. You have exterior lights around the building. You have exterior lights in the parking lot. You have interior lights in hallways and stairwells and, and around areas of the library where it's dark. You may have convex mirrors up in the corner of the library uh, up by the ceiling so people can see around the corners. You may have camera systems that cover the outside of the building, that cover the inside of the building. You have cameras that cover the parking lot. You have cameras that give you a continuous view even at nighttime that gets recorded to a, a DVR or NVR system so you can look at it later if you had to. We have in terms of security for our IT systems we have Wi-Fi protection. We have Wi-Fi protections and passwords for our servers. Our IT specialists have all kinds of, of software and hardware and all kinds of things that they put in place to keep our systems from being hacked and ransomware and things like that. 
We have in some libraries RFID tags on the books. We have personal panic alarms that some staff wear in libraries as they walk around the library floor. That's more rare, but certainly I've been in lots of libraries around the country that have panic alarms under the desks, at the circulation desks or at some of the counters, or even in the back office if it has a public contact sort of a piece to it there. So there's lots of interior, exterior, hidden, visible, obvious, not so obvious security devices in libraries already. You may have security guards in your library that are stationed there all the time or only on weekends or nighttime or after school gets out or at a certain time only. You may have library pages or people that, that sort of serve as a security function. This could be uh, retired law enforcement guys. It could be people that were in the military that want to help out at the library. They're, they're part-time employees, sometimes they're even volunteers, and they serve a security function. We have the police in some libraries, especially in downtown branches around the country, that are there full-time, and they work as uh, either um, overtime shifts or they're assigned to the library as part of the city or county sheriff's or PD contract. You certainly have fast access, hopefully, unless you're in a rural location, to law enforcement if you need it in a, in a life-threatening emergency or an armed situation. We have door locks that are managed by hard keys. We have door locks that are managed by key cards. I'm a big fan of key cards because if an employee loses them, we can make the switch and get them a new one and take them out of the system pretty instantaneously. If employees lose hard keys to the library, sometimes they won't tell us for weeks on end because they're embarrassed, they don't want to get in any trouble, and we have a set of keys to the facility floating around out there. So I'm a big fan of key cards as a security device. We certainly have access control policies for our, our building after hours. We have burglar alarms, we have fire alarms. We have storage facilities. If you have a larger library where there's a warehouse uh, in the basement or a warehouse outside where books and, and other materials are delivered, we have cages where we lock up certain theft-sensitive items, laptops, tablets, things that, that can be stolen. We have those under lock and key until they're ready to put out onto the floor. We have security policies and procedures around evacuation and active shooter and trespassing and, and things that are connected to our codes of conduct. We have security policies related to the burglar alarm and how that's, that's activated and, and how we prevent false alarms and things related to who responds to a burglar alarm, whether it's the city police or an alarm company, and does that person notify the on-call library person in charge if it's after hours. We have vigilance behavior by our staff, by our managers, by our leaders and supervisors. We have vigilance behavior by patrons. They report things that, that happen of a safety and security perspective to us all the time. Hey, there's some kids fighting outside. There's a guy sleeping in the bathroom. There's some people over here doing this, this, and this, and they tell us about things that are happening. We have security incident reports, which give us information about safety or security hazards, things that, that are broken and need to be fixed, things that are potential hazards that a, that a child or a disabled person or somebody could get injured walking by or walking into. Well, those things are pretty common, yes? So if we look at all the things that exist in the library for security procedures, equipment, policies, and kind of the culture that we create, we shouldn't have to apologize or rationalize or explain or make excuses for why we have these things to each other, which we sometimes do, to our elected officials, to our patrons, and the people that we are there to protect, the staff and the patrons, we shouldn't have to apologize for the things that are in our library that exist now or could be uh, in a future budget or in a future site security assessment 
which I encourage you to do, to figure out what you may need to put in later on, or as soon as you can afford it, we shouldn't have to apologize for the, the presence of those things. We shouldn't have to apologize for asking people to comply with our code of conduct. We shouldn't have to apologize for asking people to comply with the COVID rules that we have for masks and social distancing and things like that. I wrote a blog for Library 2.0 about visitor policies, visitors and vendor access policies. And I'm a strong believer that we should have a structured system in place for how you manage visitors who want to go back into the back offices and see an employee or see a library director or leader or somehow go into the back part of our libraries to make deliveries or repairs, clean up, things like that. We shouldn't have to apologize for having a vendor-visitor sign-in process. Should be staff only that comes into our library and in the back parts. And if it's not, then those folks who are coming in for legitimate reasons or that they have a bona fide appointment or they want to speak to a library director or leader or supervisor about a, a bona fide issue where we've done some screening to figure out what the issue is. We don't allow angry people just to go storming into the back there. We shouldn't have to apologize for having a visitor process. There is no exception that should be made about our visitor policies for vendors or, or delivery people that need to get back into our, our facility on an irregular basis. I'm not saying we have a vendor policy uh, about the UPS delivery person or the FedEx person, but for people to make rare appearances that need to do maintenance or fix things, things like that, we want to have a visitor policy and we shouldn't, shouldn't apologize for it. And without exception, we should ask our staff or if this is run by security officers in your facility to follow our visitor process and not go based on what people look like as to whether or not they should sign in or not. I've seen this many times in my career. <clears throat> There'll be some sort of corporate office somewhere and some important business person will come in and, and be wearing nice clothing and carrying a briefcase and the security person will say, uh, sir or ma'am, you need to sign in here. And then somebody from the organization will come over and, and countermand that, override that and say, don't you know who this person is? It's our important executive from the Dallas office. He or she doesn't need to sign in and they grab them by the elbow, elbow and they, they escort them past without signing in. The message to the security officer who does not recognize the important executive from the Dallas office, the message there is everybody who wears a nice suit, male or female, and carries a nice briefcase, male or female, does not have to sign in, does not have to show ID. That's the wrong message. Everybody, from the CEO on down to the part-time employee, should follow the procedures if that's what the security procedures are supposed to be. So instead of apologizing for our safety and security procedures, instead of apologizing for our safety and security equipment, we should be continuing to create and establish and reward what was called a challenge culture. A challenge culture says that our employees feel comfortable, empowered by us, to challenge people who are violating our security procedures, whether it's a patron or a vendor trying to get in through the back door of the library without permission, etc. So when we think about this idea of the challenge culture, employees don't have to be cops, employees don't have to be security guards, but we want them to embrace the idea that they are just as responsible and just as in charge for security as anybody else and that they can see things and point out things and notify us and recognize things way before the senior staff does, way before the leadership team does. So I'm always in favor of praising employees that point out what we need to fix, whether it's a hazard, a safety hazard, a security failure, a lighting issue in the stairway, something that's wet or broken or, or electrical or 
slippery or dangerous or poisonous gets pointed out by, by the employees way before anybody from maintenance or, or repair service or janitorial folks would see it. And that's the kind of challenge culture that we want to create. I have done site security assessments of libraries and went in and said, okay, you have 12 cameras on this system here and only uh, eight of them work. Where are the, what's wrong with the other four cameras? And the people say, oh, those have been broken for years. And I always say, well, who's responsible for fixing the camera? Well, we told management about it, but they didn't do anything about it. And so the message there is, don't bother to say anything to our bosses about what needs to be fixed or repaired because they just won't do anything. I'm not saying you have to fix everything as soon as it comes to your attention, unless it's a hazard, unless it's dangerous. Some stuff you have to put in a requisition or a purchase order or a repair order, that type of thing. I understand that. But sometimes the message to our employees is it doesn't matter if you tell us about things that need to be fixed. If we just can't get to it, we're not going to bother to tell you when we are going to get to it. And then what the employees hear is my input about these things is not important or valid. That's not what we want. If I was in charge of the library, I would actually give employees rewards like gift cards, like a Starbucks card or an Amazon card. Every time they point out something significant that's broken or needs repair or is a safety hazard to us that we did not recognize, that we didn't see originally, that they saw it way before we did, that's worth rewarding. Employees follow our lead on this issue, and the message from the leadership team should be every security failure or security equipment issue or security concern is a concern to us all, not just to the leadership team or the police or the security guards or whoever, but everybody. We're all in charge of safety and security. I think about something that I've talked about on several podcasts is the need for us to create an event plan, an emergency event plan for those rare possibilities that something may happen that might create a need for evacuation or first responders or an ambulance for any kind of event where we have 25 or more people. So I've talked about this in my articles and in, in podcasts on this Library 2.0 podcast about how it's important to have an event plan for every public or private event that we have with 25 more or more people. We're not apologizing for having a security plan. We're not apologizing for thinking about those things which might never happen. But we have an author coming in for a book signing. We have a group of kids coming in from the local elementary school to watch a play. We have uh, seniors coming in for some sort of performance that they, they want to look at. We have a plan for how we protect those people inside our building, inside our plazas, our courtyards, our patios, our training rooms, whatever it happens to be. We should not be apologizing for thinking about stuff that's never happened before or could never happen or probably wouldn't happen because sometimes we like to rationalize the fact that it didn't happen in the past, it couldn't possibly happen in the future, and that's not the way I need to think or you need to think as well. The past is not a good predictor of the future, but it gives us indicators, does it not? So just because something's never happened doesn't mean it might not. In this day and age, with the way things are happening in public government, around public buildings, whether it's protests or riots or things like that, we have a duty to think about worst-case scenario when it comes to protecting people that are coming into our facility for a group event. Maybe it's at nighttime, maybe it's a group size we've never had to handle before, or maybe we've had lots of experience and practice in handling certain types of, of large groups. We just need to look at the process of how we bring people in and get people out in a safe way with a little bit more concern. I think about patron behavior as part of my work as a library security consultant, and I think about not having to apologize 
for when we ban a patron for high-risk behavior, consistently violating our policies when it comes to sexual or racial harassment, consistently violating our policies when it comes to bothering or irritating or threatening or even touching or hurting or assaulting other people in the library, whether it's staff or patrons. Sometimes we need to give people second and third chances to get their act together and to get their behavior under control, and sometimes we just need to say this person is not allowed in our facility, not allowed in our library. When we look at being sued for certain types of situations where someone is injured or worst case scenario someone is killed, God forbid, the thing that the plaintiff's attorneys are always looking at is something called foreseeability and prior notice. Foreseeability says could we have predicted this based on this person's behavior in the past? And prior notice means do we have incidents, recorded, documented incidents, and, and Lord help us if we don't, we need to write things down that take place in the library in terms of security incident reports so we can have a history of what we need to address and, and look at in terms of someone's behavior. The prior notice piece comes in when there is a sense from the attorney that this person's behavior is on record and we know about it or we knew about it and it's been going on for a while and yet it happened again. The concepts of foreseeability and prior notice say we don't have to predict the future, but we do have to look at things that have happened once with the possibility that they may have happened over and over again and that's not what we want. So when it comes to patron behavior, which is high risk, dangerous, harassing, bullying, th touching, threatening, exposing himself, something like that, which is high-risk behavior, we need to say there is a line in the sand that we draw about problematic behavior that, that violates either the law or violates our code of conduct, stealing, assaulting staff, assaulting other patrons, no exceptions, not apologizing for doing our enforcement work for the people that are making the library not a safe place to be. We should not allow any type of patron, whether it's kids or teenagers or homeless people or mentally ill people or people on drugs and alcohol, come in and take over our library and make people feel afraid to come to the library. We should not apologize for enforcing our code of conduct for that small number of people that can be problematic to the point where citizens don't want to go to the library, people don't want to drop off their kids at the library, people are afraid to use the library as a resource. That is definitely not what we want. So. I'm always saying we're not running the place like a prison camp, I get that, but we have to have a continuity of message and we have to have a sense that, that we're not apologizing for enforcing our rules of behavior inside the library. So that's all back to the culture piece. We need to create a culture that's a safety culture, a security culture, a protective culture, and a protection culture. A protective culture says that we have a duty to care for the invitees, the people we invite into our library vendors, visitors, the public, patrons, that type of thing. And we have a, a protective mindset about how we protect them with our security devices, our procedures, security guards, staff, vigilance, etc. We also have a protection culture which says we think about these things on an as-needed basis and we make changes, small or large, depending on what the situation is, to match the concern that we're trying to fix. So we shouldn't have to apologize for creating new safety and security policies shouldn't have to apologize for updating our new security and safety policies because times change. Things that we cared about maybe 20 years ago are not a concern now. 20 years ago we weren't talking about things related to people playing videos on their cell phones or smoking vape cigarettes inside the library. Certain things we have policies for because now they have evolved and they exist. We shouldn't apologize when we interact with our guard services, our security guard services. 
many people that employ security guards in the library use a contract service. They don't have a, a security company that is connected to the city or county as city or county employees. They're not, a, they're not an entity or a department that's typically a city or county uh, department. Some do that's typically run by the, an offshoot of the PD or an offshoot of the sheriff's department, like a, like a library security officer who is connected as well to the sheriff's department. Most organizations use contract third-party security vendors. That relationship with the security vendor, the security guard vendor, is an important one because you are the customer. And you have the right to say, I'm unsatisfied with their work. I'm unsatisfied with these particular guards and their habits. They sleep or look at their phone or, or talk to people they shouldn't be talking to or disappear, whatever happens to be. So we shouldn't apologize to the site security vendor by saying, could you please... Uh, have your guards do a better job. We have the right to create a set of posted orders and your posted orders may be different for the guard that works on the first floor as opposed to the guard that works on the second or third floor. The posted orders should be written in such a way that they're not generic to a business that needs to be protected but are written specifically for the library business. And we shouldn't apologize to the security site vendor, the site security manager by saying we need another person who's a better fit here. We need somebody who is a better fit with our kids, or a better fit with these teenagers, or a better fit with the public in general. We shouldn't apologize for asking for this person who works for us as part of the contract process to give us the best quality person using the posted um, work, uh, the site security post orders that are written in a way that are exclusive to the library in a way that fits what we're trying to protect and do. We shouldn't apologize for asking a security guard who works for us because of the contract, to do his or her job more effectively, more courteously, or more safely. We shouldn't have staff apologizing to a library leader for calling 911. I'm sorry, but I called 911. That's not what a, a, an employee should say. You should say to your employees, and what I say in my training programs, if your intuition says call the police, then call the police. Explain to us why afterwards, and you can't call the police if somebody looks at you funny, but you don't have to wait to be assaulted or something horrible to happen before we call the police. We use the police as a force multiplier in those situations where someone is armed or wants to hurt people or is threatening to hurt himself or others, and we need police help. So if we create a culture where employees feel embarrassed to call 911 or that they shouldn't call 911 without permission, sometimes that could turn into a tragedy because they go, well, I didn't think I was allowed to, and I didn't call the police, and then something bad happened. So we want to praise employees when they use good judgment. If their skills and their communication tools and their intuition and their ability to change the ratios of confrontation and bring over somebody else, including another supervisor, has not worked, and we're at a crossroads where we need the police, the issue for our employees is they should have the empowerment and the sense of, of intuition to do that on their own without having to wait for permission for us. And for us to criticize employees who call the police inadvertently, that's usually quite rare. I, I, in my experience, they don't call the police early enough. So I like to reward and praise them if they did it correctly in terms of using their intuition and making a good decision to keep themselves and everybody else safe to call the police accurately and effectively. I sometimes see library supervisors and managers apologize to their own maintenance people, their own janitorial people, their own facilities people when asked to clean up something or fix something. That's their job. We ask them courteously, we ask them to do their job professionally, but we shouldn't apologize for having them come in and do the things that we need them to do. Replace lights, fix a camera system, something like that, we shouldn't apologize for it. Their job is to fix things, just like we would 
have that same conversation if we brought in an outside vendor, an outside vendor for maintenance or repair or janitorial. We don't apologize to those folks. Why do we apologize to our own city or county staff? Sorry I had to bring in to do this. It's their job. We appreciate what they do. We praise them and thank them for what they do, but we shouldn't apologize for it. Speaking of apologizing, I don't think we should be apologizing to city managers and to county administration officers or CAOs, council members, bosses, board of supervisors, um, elected officials, appointed officials, library board members when we ask for budget dollars to make security improvements or to make safety improvements. Sometimes there's a perception that we have to go hat in hand for budget dollars for things that just make good common sense when it comes to security, or that we go hat in hand for things that make sense when it comes to protecting children or the disabled or a group of, of uh, patrons who have, have mobility issues or hearing issues or whatever it happens to be where we need equipment or devices or procedures or we need a new protocol that, that costs money to develop with consultants or we need a new piece of equipment. We shouldn't have to apologize to our elected officials or appointed officials when it comes to making budget requests for things that are reasonable. We aren't being frivolous with the taxpayers' money. We're making an investment in keeping patrons and staff safe. We're making an investment to limit our future liability. We're making an investment in our security improvements and procedures and equipment that says to plaintiff's attorneys that we are taking care of taking care of our people. So stop apologizing to patrons for security inconveniences that stop using that phrase. Sorry we had to have you go through the book alarm. Sorry that you couldn't get in this area that's staff only. Stop apologizing for things that we should be doing as part of our regular way of keeping the library safe. My standard sort of speech to patrons is, well, you know, these are the things that we have to do now in our world. It's kind of a new world. These are the things we have to do to keep everybody safe, including you and your kids and whoever else comes in here. Even though it may not seem like it at the time, we're doing this for good reasons. We have discussions about our security procedures in detail. We will continue to discuss what we need to do and improve. And if you have some suggestions for things that we might want to improve, let us know. If there are things that we're not doing, let us know. If there are things that you see, Mr. and Ms. Patron, let us know so that you can help us keep everybody safe as well. We want to teach our new employees, our new hires, as part of new employee orientation, that this is a security culture, that we enjoy our work, that we're supportive of everybody here, that we offer good services to everybody that comes in here, but we have a security mindset as well. And part of their job duties, besides good customer service, is paying attention to those safety and security concerns. So this is the first podcast I've done for Library 2.0 where I've ranted. This feels like a rant to me. I spent some time writing a lot of notes about what I wanted to talk about in this podcast today because I feel strongly about this issue that we should feel empowered about our facilities, we should feel empowered about protecting our staff and the patrons that come in, and we shouldn't apologize for the things that we do to do that safely and effectively, legally, ethically, and correctly. So my thanks to the producer of the Library Safety and Security Podcast, Steve Hargadon. For more information, visit Library 2.0 website at library20.com. Until next time, I'm Dr. Steve Albrecht. Thanks for listening to the Library Safety and Security Podcast.